Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kumla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. LGBTQ engineers within our community often have to walk a fine line when it comes to equity, diversity, and inclusion efforts. On one hand, sexual identity is an intensely private matter and should have no bearing on decisions of hiring and advancement. Yet on the other hand, it's these differences in life and outlook that can lead to more innovative approaches in operational problem solving and should be celebrated for the richness they bring. So to get some insight from the LGBTQ plus and allies community, highlighting the important work happening on the EDI front within the profession, both industry and academia, we've reassembled the young professional panel that spoke on this subject at this past year's AICHE virtual annual meeting. Joining us today, we have Dr. Scott Danielson, a postdoc at Duke in Mechanical Engineering and Material Sciences, as well as a visiting scholar of biochemistry and biophysics at UNC. Also joining us, we have Elizabeth Houghton, a senior engineer with Savannah River Nuclear Solutions. Austin S. Lynn, past chair of the AICHE Management Division and actively involved in the Silicon Valley tech industry. Dr. Itzel Marquez, an assistant professor in the School of Engineering and Technology at Central Michigan University and Dr. Shelley Payton, the Armstrong Associate Professor and Graduate Program Director of Chemical Engineering at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Welcome, all. Thank you for joining us for the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. Now, let's start off with a look at the bigger picture of EDI as a whole. Um, Despite years of data, and there's lots of data that categorically proves diversity leads to higher functioning and more profitable workplaces, Many still believe that such efforts are just about hiring unqualified individuals to reach quotas. Now, do you all see any shift in this mindset within the engineering fields? And and what can we do to better support this change in perception? Anybody want to go first and kind of lead us into this conversation? I can certainly talk from the university perspective. Um, UMass Engineering is certainly valuing the diversity of perspectives that people bring, both as faculty members, as staff, and as students. And I think that Dr. Ebony McGee has very well put it that a lack of diversity has led to a lack of engineering in STEM. And that's what drives us all here, right, as engineers, is driving innovation. Um, Increasing the diversity and particularly the inclusion in the classroom has really made it a more creative and innovative space. And I've seen that over the years here at the University of Massachusetts. Do you have a, a, a specific example you're thinking about when you say that you've seen it happen? Because I think I'd love to hear uh, what kind of exact opportunities are being created as a result of inclusion efforts. What I've seen is the ability to problem solve in much more creative ways. I tend to teach either upper level graduate students or first year and second year undergraduates. And having assemblages of teams from people from all over the world, diversity on any kind of axis that you can kind of think of, I've seen problem solving be much more creative than I have in the past. So students are coming up with really incredible solutions to the problems that they're giving in class. That's, that's fantastic. Anybody else like to bring this to our attention? Maybe someone from the... the uh 
uh, industry in the industry realm is uh, any thoughts yeah, sure. on this? Yeah, thank I you. think from the the corporate world side, I think we we also aspire to get to what Shelley was just describing in terms of end results to where you have an environment that's a lot more um, creative. Uh, collaboratively creative as well. Um, and it really does tie back to, you know, your opening statement on, you know, educating people that diversity is not about filling quotas. And one of the things we try very hard in the management division when we're talking to leaders and managers and aspiring managers is that when you are building a team, it's, it's, it's natural, right? No one would say no, that you're not trying to build the best possible team for the task at hand. But really to do that, it makes sense that you seek out uh, as, as broadly as you can for that level of talent. And you're really not seeking very broadly if you leave your talent search efforts and your recruitment efforts and your sort of mentoring and growth efforts within the standard categories that your industry or your company is used to being in. So I think when we are trying to coach folks on allyship, it's much more than saying, yep, I believe in supporting the LGBTQIA community. It's what, are, what actions are you taking beyond the commitment to doing so? And part of that is actively seeking out LGBTQ communities, other underrepresented groups, minority groups, and going into those groups to find the level of talent that you want for your ultimate group. And ultimately, your successes are based off of your successes, right? Based off of the strength of your team uh, and not because of what, what society happens to label different teams. Um, but it's important that you are cognizant that that source of talent comes from many, many different places beyond what we traditionally do. It must be both challenging and rewarding for you in particular, considering that you're working in the Silicon Valley space. Um, where, and I imagine you're working with a lot of startups. Is that correct? In this uh, correct assumption? Yeah, I would say the true startup companies uh, definitely are always resource challenged. Um, I work in an, an established sort of big tech company. Um, but even in those environments where sort of the spontaneity and that sort of self-directedness where, you know, much of the culture here is, you know, what your end business task is and then but no one's breathing down your neck to tell you how to do it. And when you are sort of stuck in that, no one's telling you the instructions, you know, the end point and you need to figure out how to get there. Um, we see some of the most successful teams and doing that coming from the most diverse teams. And, and it's just from a fact of bringing different perspectives. And then those, the, the, the right solutions sort of emerge from those environments. And that's where I think a lot of people see the benefits, especially in, in the tech industry. Now, with those two leadoff questions, it, it kind of brings us to our next point, which I, I think is an interesting area to, to cover, which is the fact that some of you have chosen to pursue careers in business, while others of you have taken a more research and educational focus. My question is, is one path dealing with matters of equity, diversity, inclusion, better, easier, more uh, accepting than the other? Or is at the end of the day, all of you dealing with the same basic challenges wherever you go? I mean, Elizabeth, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your own experience in the workplace as opposed to the educational space. Absolutely. So as a transgender individual working in industry, I think there's a lot of similarity between the environments, between uh, industry and academia. Um, 
because they have similar difficulties. So everybody wants to go to work feeling safe. They fear rejection from others. They fear losing their jobs. Um, they fear losing friends, family. They altered interactions, either overt or subtle with friends and coworkers. So no matter where you're working, you know, these are things that I fear. And I think that those fears are shared by a lot of people. Um, people just want to feel safe because when they feel safe, they can bring their best selves to work. Um, in my opinion, uh, progress doesn't have to be the most overt thing in the world. I'm big on leadership by example. So um, in industry, support what does support look like? It could be HR policies. It could be, you know, maybe a model for maybe a transitioning individual to communicate with their peers, with their uh, work environment, uh, saying they're coming out, uh, having a plan in place, including information in their non-discrimination policies for maybe gender identity. Um, you know, some larger companies include support groups, trainings, donations to causes. My company, Savannah River Nuclear Solutions, has an LGBTQ plus panel every year. So that's showing their support for that uh, for our community. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities and there's little things here and there that can uh, really ease the pressure of coming out as a trans or LGBTQ plus individual. Well, that, that's fantastic. I mean, it's always great to hear that there's support going on in the industry world as far as uh, these issues. So that's that's great to hear. Can I um, ask someone from the educational side, maybe Dr. Marquez, um, if you could talk a little bit about uh, what it's like on the education side? Um, is it just as welcoming? Is it just as accommodating as the situation that was just described to us? Or is it more difficult? Um, what would you say? Sure. Um, I agree with Elizabeth. I'm not sure if it's a matter of areas of industry versus academia. I think um, what is important is for LGBTQ individuals is to uh, feel support from their institution. It doesn't matter if it's a university or if it's uh, a company or a startup. Um, I think the idea of having uh events, institutional events that support diversity and LGBTQ plus people or having policies like Elizabeth was talking about HR policies in our case at Central Michigan University is about um, student living policies about um, having, we just um, released the news of having uh, dorms that were uh, welcoming to non-binary individuals, to trans individuals. So it's not, it, I, I do believe the most important part and the, the thing that most helps us to be, to feel safe in our work environment is the institutional support. So this bathroom policies that we have in the university, the dorms policies that we have, um, the different conversations and clubs, student clubs that are supported by the university are the ones that are that can make the change and feel the students and of course the faculty and the staff welcome in the university. That's a really important issue, that idea of providing mentoring, coaching, networking opportunities, all the things that we, you know, we might take for granted are, are really kind of highly focused and highly important for 
LGBTQ plus individuals. I mean, uh, they're all important for career growth, but the opportunities might be a little bit harder for people of LGBTQ backgrounds to find and benefit from. So what are we as a profession doing to change this and what more should we be looking to do? Maybe we could go to Dr. Danielson here for this one. Um, what are we doing here in the in workplaces, both academic, academic and industry, to make a difference in terms of mentoring and support? So, I think that you know when I I first worked in the oil industry prior to going to graduate school, and I was sort of amazed uh, <clears throat> that you know. As soon as I joined this company, there was employee advocacy groups centered around LGBT individuals, um, and I felt that mentorship aspect almost immediately. Mm. Um, and I think this speaks to, on the corporate side, uh, there being a real top-down uh, imposition saying, you know, these are important values to our company, um, and we're going to highlight and support all of our individuals. Um, I think when I went switched over to the academic side on graduate school, I was surprised to see that, you know, some of these same resources and mentorship opportunities didn't exist in the same way. Not to say that they, they're not there, but it requires a lot more individual seeking out uh, different people, different resources, um, and sort of building up that same support network. Um, and in my opinion, one of the things that really has limited this growth on at least the academic side is we don't have great statistics on LGBT individuals in STEM. Uh, we don't have great numbers on how many there are. Um, we don't have a good comprehension of, you know, what are those bottlenecks? I mean, I think each of us has our own, you know, personal stories on where we felt challenges or resources, um, but I'm not sure that as an entire community that data is really there yet. Would everybody else agree with that assessment that maybe um, maybe there's a little bit more opportunity for uh, guidance and mentorship and 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 help and support on the on the career side on the industry side as opposed to going toward the academic side and why is that is it the data as Dr. Danielson mentioned or is it more about politics within the institutions um, someone want to bring up their thoughts on that? I think in the business world, um, I mean, part of it, uh, for, for better or for worse, largely is, is also driven by, in some cynical people might say, capitalist-driven outcomes, right? If, if we, if, you know, when you're, we're trying to convince uh, groups to adopt more allyship, and I would say corporations in general, not, not any one industry or any one company, um, if we can show evidence that diverse teams leads to productivity, um, uh, you know, as we've cited before in the past, uh, firms like uh, BCG and McKinsey, they've cited, you know, improvements by up to 19 or 20 percent improvements in what they call innovation revenue, meaning the majority of the company's uh, revenues within the past two to three years uh, come from new innovations versus things that they've had, you know, on the market for decades. Um, those things create the business case for doing so. Um, but I think you still see a difference when people adopt it just because, hey, it's good for the business versus, hey, I, I care about my people and I care about my teams. 
those two mindsets lead to two very different outcomes, uh, lead to different retention, lead to employee turnover differences. And so in the long run, even when you factor out all some of the capitalist mindset stuff, you actually have very positive, supportive environments that emerge out of that. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, Dr. Payton, what would you say to this issue? Um, what more could we be doing on our college campuses to bring about the allyship, to bring about the support and the, and the, the types of opportunities, the mentorship opportunities that are necessary for the growth of an individual's career uh, going out of the educational ba um, background? I'll just echo a lot of what already has been said. I think the most important thing is to get started, uh, to start having conversations with colleagues about this issue. And I think that's the biggest hurdle, just overcoming that energy barrier. And I'd also say you don't have to be a member of a community to get that conversation going. In fact, I'd likely advocate that we should all be using our power and agency to advocate for folks in other groups. One thing that I've really liked that this discipline is done, the American Institute for Chemical Engineers has just started providing space at the national meetings for people to get together. That's helped us network. It's helped members of the community talk to each other to find out what issues are you dealing with in your industry or at your institution? What are some best practices that we can share with one another? It's also been great to see allies in those spaces listening to what's going on with us as members of the LGBTQIA plus community. What are we dealing with and what can those institutions do? So providing space has been a big step and I, I hope that keeps going. I'm gonna keep, uh, take my next question right to you on, on the aspect of what we can do going forward because if you had a manager right in front of you right now um, who was expressing a sincere desire to create a safer, more accepting workplace, um, a true ally in every sense of the word, what would you advise them to do, to do first in order to make a change within their organization? Start talking to people. Start, start talking to individuals within and outside that community. Start assembling some groups to listen to what's going on with folks and advocate for change with the people that are actually paying the bills at that company or institution. And let's go around the room and get some other opinions on this as well so that we can round this out and get some thoughts going. Um, Elizabeth, what, do you, what would you say? What would be the one thing you would say to a manager in that situation? Well, I, first and foremost, I completely agree with Shelley. Um, conversations with others and asking questions, um, I, I think it's a good rule for life, but definitely good rule for interacting pe with people in the LGBT plus community. Um, if you do your research and you have questions, um, and you do so in a respectful manner, uh, ask. Uh, I'm always happy to talk personally about, you know, my experiences. Um, I would also say um, just do your best. You know, being trans, you know, one of my mantras was, I'm going to mess up with something. You're probably going to mess up with names or pronouns. Just try your best, and as long as we're all doing that and improving, um, it, we're going to be okay. 
Um, so I love that. I love that sentiment. You know, I think that it's important. I mean, both what Dr. Payton said about listening and just showing up and being aware and what you're saying about just try and you might fail, but just try. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, any other thoughts that people would like to offer up on this? I mean, any advice you would give to a manager who was looking to be a true ally in the workplace? I mean, for most leaders, it's a it really is a leadership obligation, right, to create psychologically safe environments. And and I would say sometimes it doesn't even have to take the shape of a formal um, program, right, because those get tied up and slowed down by the bureaucracy of such things. And I think some of the best managers that we see that we talk to in our allyship training and coaching are ones who create these inclusive environments that allow people, regardless of how they identify, to feel safe to speak up in team meetings or in one-on-one situations. And in that, you let individuals present themselves in the way that they feel most comfortable in presenting. Um, I I think while the intent is good to say, all right, on Wednesdays, we're gonna have the black employees group, Thursdays, it's the Latinx group, and you know, Fridays, it's gonna be the LGBTQ group. Um, In some ways, you may be outing people indirectly uh, that don't feel comfortable yet in in talking about uh, certain parts of themselves. So I think having people know, hey, this is a leader or this is a team that when I join, I can be myself, I can have conversations, I can ask for help as as a human being, period. And then the other aspects that define an individual uh, as a person, those come out pretty organically when you start having the conversations. And if it's a psychologically safe space where people feel comfortable talking about their differences, then you create this really accepting environment, um, regardless of how any one person identifies. So it really just starts with the willingness to do that. And it takes hard work. It's to actively be very deliberate in 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 setting the time and and taking time out of the workday to ensure these things are happening. Um, and and oftentimes that's what it needs to start uh, versus overcomplicating with, you know, drawn out campaigns and such. Well, you, you've all had in one capacity or another been involved with the AICHE Young Professional Initiative. Um, so how has this helped you in your own personal growth and how do you see it meeting the challenges faced by the next generation of LGBTQ plus engineers? Dr. Danielson, maybe you could answer this and give us some thoughts about what the Young Professional, is, Young Professional Initiative has done for you. I think, you know, starting with things like this podcast and things like our, our Young Professionals panel at the last meeting um, or several meetings ago, we did the um, we had a, a bigger event uh, where we had the Dow CEO Jim Fitterling join. Um, and I think all of these speak to, you know, there's a place in our community that is for you no matter how you identify. Um, and the more we've raised the topic in different discussions, different formats, um, the more I can think in my, the, the back of my head that you know this is a place for me um, and it's a place that I want to continue being a part of. Dr. Marquez, are you back now? I I can hear you well. You cannot hear me? No, we can hear you now. For some reason you were on mute maybe. So you're you're good. So tell us what your thoughts are about uh, the Young Professional Initiative. I mean, how has it helped you in your personal growth? Um, how can it support other people, what are you? What do you see the future of the organization being? 
Definitely. Well, for me, I have to say it was a great support to be part of the AACHE, to come to my first. So I'm originally from Mexico. I wasn't out in Mexico. I came out when I came to the U.S. And going to my first meeting, uh, my first <clears throat> annual meeting to the AACHE and seeing all these um, forums and pride flags and everybody being so comfortable in being out there. It definitely made an impact uh, on me. It made me want to be part of the efforts, and that's how I started getting involved with um, all the panels and, and all the activities that were going on on the conferences. So feeling that support, it made a huge impact in me, and I I, I definitely want to commend the ACH because they are doing a great job on that. There are definitely challenges ahead, I believe. Um, I believe one of the people that is struggling the most right now might be uh, trans people, non-binary people still dealing with a lot of prejudice and, and still trying to find places where they feel welcome. Uh, but I think um, at least for the AICHE is heading in the right direction. And that's good to know. And I loved um, between what um, Scott had to say and what you're saying about the support network and the types of resources like this podcast that are out there to continue um, continuing the conversation in a very public fo- in a very public way is is a really important move for the organization and for the community as a whole. Uh, Elizabeth, I'd love to get your thoughts as well on this topic. What do you, What do you think? What has it done for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have been super involved with the AICHE Young Professionals Committee. I've been a member of them for about 10 years. I've been privileged enough to be a chair of YPC and hold a whole bunch of other positions. And what kept me coming back is they're a group of absolutely amazing friends, amazing leaders, and amazing people. And they've helped me to grow as a leader and as a person. Uh, When I began coming out to that group, There was nothing but support. And I think that speaks to a bigger trend that we're going to see as young people are going to show the way on LGBTQ issues. You know, think of it this way. It's much more acceptable to be LGBTQ plus today versus 10 or 20 years ago. Older engineers in the Institute had to hide parts of themselves Um, you know, just a few years ago. But the young people, they grow up, they have friends who fall under that umbrella, Uh, they have family members, and it's becoming a lot more common. And they see that there's no real difference. You know, they're still the friend, they're still great student, great employee, great engineer, great researcher, and they just happen to fall into that LGBTQ plus sphere. Um, Being trans... I don't think it defines me in my everyday life. And I think and hope that attitude will spread to, uh, you know, those who continue to come out and those who work with those who come out. Um, If the young people treat it as normal, others are going to catch on. You know, it's really interesting when you put it in that and frame it in that way. I mean, the idea that um, young people are more accepting of this than maybe the older generations have been in the past, and that the young people as a whole within AICHE are probably going to lead the way going forward uh, on all on this and a whole lot of other issues. So, 
Is that kind of what everybody feels about both AICHE's future and also the initiative for young professionals? Is it leading the way? Is it really having an impact on older generations? Yeah, I think the Institute has, has done, you know, what what many of us have echoed. I think it starts by creating a space for different voices across industries, across generations to have that place to gather. And, you know, and even Shelly mentioned just to even have a place where you, you know, the networking can happen or a place where someone who wants to be an ally can understand more about what it is and how to become an ally. Creating the space is really what it starts with. And, um, and I, I think the differences between generations, I, I think maybe a less a factor of willingness, but more of education and execution, right? How, how do I go about do that? What tools do I have at my disposal if I wanted to learn more and want to get more involved? And I think ASCHE is creating sort of the, the right threads for people to, to find inroads in, into doing those. And that's a perfect place for us to wrap up today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, well, thank you for being on the program, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting us. Now, our guests today have been Dr. Scott Danielson, Elizabeth Houghton, um, Austin Lynn, Dr. Itzel Marquez, and Dr. Shelley Payton. For more details about the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good campaign, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Nort. Thanks for listening. Thank you.